Probably the only time that Jesus in his earthly ministry um, ever saw snow was when he was on a retreat with his disciples in the gospel that we've read today. He's traveled from Galilee to Caesarea Philippi in the far north of Israel. And it is a truly beautiful setting that is situated under the snow-covered peak of Mount Hermon. This place was the shrine of a famous pagan god. It was a famous pagan shrine to the god Pan, whose claim to universality, a god for all seasons, for all times, and for all people. The Greeks here were covering their bases well, this pagan shrine to Pan provides a dramatic background for the question that Jesus now puts to his disciples. Who do men say that I am? And the disciples began to answer that question with caution, like students who are not entirely sure what the right answer must be. Well, some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say that you are one of the prophets. The disciples have obviously cited the most favorable opinions about Jesus that are in circulation. John the Baptist, he had been recently beheaded by Herod, so this would be akin to an Elvis sighting. Elijah? In popular Judaism, there was a myth that the great prophet and wonder worker of the Old Testament would return. Remember in the story of Elijah, he did not actually die. He was taken up into heaven on a chariot in the whirlwind. And then they wondered, well, one of the prophets, this is the kind of prophet who challenges the prevailing values of society and has the power to bring down kings and emperors. So the range of opinion that the disciples threw back at Jesus about who he was, either saw him as a, as a mythical, magical figure or as a political figure. And this was to misunderstand Jesus completely. The mistake the disciples made was that they compared the incomparable, the incomparable to other men. And the disciples were engaging in a kind of spectator sport. People always love to share their opinions about religion. It's easy to sit back and discuss what others have said. Maybe they do so so they don't have to make a decision. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't want to say because it would commit them to a life-changing course. But Jesus would have none of this. It is time for the disciples to get off the fence. Who do you say that I am? What will it be? Is it going to be a life lived on the fence, noncommittal to the end, 
always measuring and calculating to see which way the wind is blowing? Or will it be a life of faith where you reach deep down and to Jesus' question, you find the answer that you did not even know was there? This is the question that Jesus asks his disciples. It's difficult for us today to understand the full impact of this simple response of faith. Many a times each day, the word Christ is used, but alas, perhaps as much as a profanity as a prayer. And even many Christians think of Christ simply as Jesus' last name. But rushing to the front of Peter's mind was an incredibly full picture. You are the anointed one. You are the one that God has called and given the power to become the center of all of our hopes. You are the one the Holy Scriptures speak about, the one who has come to bring about the day of the Lord. You are the one to whom everything points. You are the promised Messiah whose sovereignty reaches over the whole of the earth. You are the Messiah, the Savior, and so blessed Peter, fortified by faith, speaks for the twelve. You are the Christ. That's what is all involved in that word that he confessed. Peter spoke by faith. He certainly knew the scriptures well, and he had all the empirical evidence that he needed. He saw miracles with his own eyes. He has heard teachings from Jesus' mouth. But now he puts it all together to find the deepest truth about Christ Peter had to reach further. He had to reach to a place where the light of reason seems like a dim flashlight. It is as if a light was suddenly switched on, flooding Peter's understanding so that he saw as if for the first time. So he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But look what happens. He soon gets in trouble with the Lord again when he rebukes Jesus for teaching about the suffering and death that would await him in Jerusalem. Peter could not understand why the Son of Man should be willing to submit to such an indignity that discipleship should come at a cost and that there would be a difficult lesson for the disciples to learn in this. We know he learned the lesson at the end, but it was a hard run for Peter. There is an old church that can be seen on the Appian Way, the famous road that runs south out of Rome, out of ancient Rome. That church is called the Quo Vadis Church. It is so named because of a story that had become very precious to the early Christian people. In those days when Peter and Paul came to Rome, a fierce persecution had broken out 
against the Christians. In those days when Peter and Paul came to Rome, the crazed Emperor Nero turned his evil intentions against the Christians and he tried to frame them for the fires that he had set. Nero had decided on an urban renewal project and it was the equivalent of going up on Summit Avenue and burning those great old houses down so you can put up something new. That's what he did in Rome. And the outcry was so great that Nero came up with the idea, let's blame the Christians for arson. And so it was that many, including the two chief apostles, gave up their lives in that context. Peter, who was leading the Christian church in Rome, was urged to beat a hasty retreat and so he fled from the city in disguise. And on the Appian Way, this is a, a text that goes way back in the life of the early church, it was very precious to early Christian people. On the Appian Way, he has a vision. He meets the Lord Jesus. And he looks and he says, Quo vadis domine? Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus replied, My own people are being persecuted. I am going to Rome to be persecuted again. And on hearing these words, Peter was seized to the core of his heart. Once he had tried to prevent Jesus from going up to the cross, he even abandoned Jesus in the hour of his greatest need, but no more. Immediately, Peter threw off his disguise and he turned around and returned to Rome where Nero sentenced him to the very same fate that Pontius Pilate sentenced his master Jesus. Peter, anxious that his own suffering be not compared with Christ's, asked that he might be crucified upside down. And John, the prophecy in John 21, Jesus said, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you about where you do not wish to go that prophecy was fulfilled. And so here we are, dear friends, St. Peter's Church, and he set a way for us that we will, with every core of our being, acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that we will follow him wherever the road takes us, and whatever the cost, is, it's nothing to pay that cost so that we could be faithful to our Lord. So, dear friends, you have a great, great patron in St. Peter, and I can't help but just imagine that moment. It's still, you know, a story, but it seems so, it's so well attested 
where he was leaving Rome and he met Jesus and he realized my job is to stand for this man, this Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.